This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, LSPod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parking or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is Paul McAreevy. Paul arrived in Swindon from his native Belfast as a teenager and spent five seasons at the county ground before leaving for Portadown in 2002. Paul played 27 times for Swindon in all competitions, scoring one goal against Oldham Athletic in a 3-0 victory. During his time at the club, he also represented Northern Ireland at both youth and under-21 level. He was signed by Steve McMahon, but he also played under countryman Jimmy Quinn, not to mention Colin Todd, Roy Evans and Andy King. Twice. This episode won't be the most comfortable listening for the happiest of happy clappers amongst our Swindon Town fan base because Paul speaks his mind. He represented Swindon at a time of turmoil when things weren't as professional as they or as we would have liked it to be. And he doesn't hold back from explaining that. We also start by talking about his upbringing in West Belfast in the 1980s and 90s, a time where the troubles were still very much a part of day-to-day life. You have to excuse me on that bit. I'm a big fan of history and I wanted to hear his experiences of that and they are absolutely fascinating. Paul went on to enjoy a successful career in the NIFL Premiership and now scouts and coaches in Belfast. It was a genuine pleasure to talk to Paul and I'm really grateful that he agreed to participate because it would have been much easier given his experience at Swindon to say no although he had plenty of great memories there too. So it's time to sound the hooter for episode 13 of The Low Strangers. Enjoy. Oh, 
Hello, Rach. How are you doing? You okay? I'm very well. Thank you very much for joining me for this episode. No problem. No problem. Thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure because I was really happy that I managed to get hold of you uh, through the glorious directory that is social media because when I was first thinking of doing this podcast back last year in the autumn, I read an article by James Morgan about you on the Herald website. It covered... Lots of ground and we'll discuss in full, but it was a real, real eye-opener for me. What I learned in that article is that you were raised on a Republican estate in Ballamurphy when the Troubles were very much ongoing. My experiences of the Troubles are light and peripheral. Uh, my stepdad was in the army and I remember things like uh, armed forces channel broadcasting what was terrifying adverts reminding squaddies to check underneath their cars for bombs and um, when I was playing junior football armed soldiers used to rummage for our boot bags in case we were smuggling something sinister into the barracks where we used to play but you on the other hand are raised right in the thick of it a Springfield Road area of Belfast it was a location of a notorious massacre back in 1971 before both of us were around um, yep. throughout the troubles there are a host of incidents and casualties of war during your uh, during your life. Obviously, it's impossible for you to compare to any other upbringing. But what was it like growing up in this period of Irish and British history? You know, I've been asked this a few times over the years, and the one thing I'll always remember because I was brought up in the middle of it was it, it was normal, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and it was anything but normal. When when we uh, when we got away from the troubles, and as time in Belfast has progressed over the last twenty years, and I'm bringing up my own children now. And you realise they're in a stable community and a stable environment, and and life's good, and there's no, there's no trouble no more, and we're working together at both sides of the community to live peacefully and have a have a great life, and and thank God it is completely different to uh, what it was when I was growing up. Obviously, I was born in 1880. The troubles really kicked off in 69, so the the 70s was really really bad. Although the 80s was also pretty bad as well as the 80s. But um, in, my, in terms of my memory, I probably only really remember it when I was maybe 86, 87, 88, when you started to actually go out and about and see what it was all about. And the soldiers were in your street every day. And um, there was a lot of uh, house raids going on and a lot of uh, rats and bombings and shootings and neighbours getting shot and people you knew getting shot and blew up and... It's like you said, when you only when you think back on it, it's a bit like the football. You just, you sort of you know, just get on my life. But when you do actually sit down, take a breather, and talk about it, you you go, whoa, that was a bit mad back then. But like I said, at the time for us, it was normal because it was all we ever knew. The aforementioned article covered a moment when you were about nine years old, and for a brief moment, you thought your own dad had been shot. Um, care to tell that story? Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll never forget it. Um, um, like you just said, Rich, I was born, I was born and raised in Ballamurphy, and we just lived off the Springfield Road, and there was a, there was a big um, British station there, just r- r- literally fifty yards from my door, and a lot of the time the IRA would have, um, would have put whatever it was, bombs and shootings at it, and then there was times where the the other side, um, the loyalists would have come into our community and shot maybe people they thought was in the IRA and Republican movements and stuff. And so it was one night, me and my mum was um, sitting in the living room with my dad, and my dad says, I'm, I'm just going up to the library. My dad's a, a real uh, avid reader, still is to this day, just loves reading, and uh, he says, I'm just going to the library to get a book. <clears throat> and as soon as he stepped out of the door into the car, he literally just went into the car, and we had just heard, after he just like, drove off, we had heard bang, 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 bang. And my mom just jumped up, and she went, that's your dad, that's your dad. 
and me and her run to, run out to see if it was him and he just spun off away and we were like what happened there because it was so close and then we looked at the neighbours and uh, it was our next door neighbour actually two doors up he is one two eye two doors up and he was lying he was lying on the on the on just at his front door the loyalists had wrapped our door and shot him he was shot like he was shot several times and he survived it so he did but at the time it was surreal I just seen him like lying there and my mum had like just got me out of the road and get get out get out get back into the house and you know but it was terrible to think that they were so glad that it wasn't your dad like but it was still the neighbours it did, wasn't good how does your family raise you in that environment obviously you've got no choice to it's, it's how how do they let you out the house you know? <laughs> <laughs> like that's a you, you sort of that story you tell is like one moment that happened and it wasn't obviously there's war happening all around the world and there always has been and, and i think there always will be but when you that's that's the real bad incident where you're going that's mad but it, but then even at the time it sort of you just there was so much of it going on it felt like it was normal I, I I don't really understand any other way of explaining it you know it happened so often and it was just like it was normal there was a lot of hatred from both sides and it was just it was that's just the way we were brought up but obviously my mom and dad didn't didn't want us to be brought up but that's all they knew this was their community and this was their home and this was their family and their friends. And nobody wanted the war. We wanted it to, you know, when you asked my mum and dad, even back then, and what they were going through, it was a terrible, terrible time for everybody. Really lost a lot of friends and family, and, and, and were afraid to go to work across community and all. And as soon as you, even if you did go to work at somewhere, even at Belfast City Centre, you know, you get straight home and you went straight into your community, and you didn't, you didn't cross paths with the other community at the time because the, the tensions and the hatred was so bad at that time. So it was real difficult for for everybody in the north at the time. So it was, but gladly we've we've tried to. I think we've we've set a precedent for the world to say that you know what we can actually put our our troubles behind us and move on and try and actually live together and work together. And even though we will have a few problems, and I think we always will have problems, um, politically here, but they're they're nowhere near what they were. And a lot of our some of my best friends are Protestants who call themselves British call themselves loyalist with you know mm. and and that's what they're brought up with and that's fine that's no uh, absolutely no no qualms with me i i've I worked like i say as i played at nunfield i've played over in the shankle when, when i was younger and i got to know a lot of protestant children from when i was when i was pretty young as well so i was i was one of them ones who sort of went through the divide through football and it helped me to understand the other side of the community and become friends with them and I've been friends with them ever since I've been a young boy so hopefully it continues like this and uh, we'll just keep progressing but yeah at the time when you look back on it it was it was a really difficult time so there's no doubt about it like so you're from a Catholic family in Belfast so I could probably guess who you supported as a child yeah oh, you would know that wouldn't you now my guess will be Celtic <laughs> yeah yeah I was brought <laughs> up support now saying that there we had it was nearly like we had two teams on both sides, and the the guys will tell you that as well. Mm. If you were across, across Belfast, cross community, you would have had they would have the like uh, the loyalist the British would have supported Rangers, and the the Irish Nationalist Republican would support Celtic. But we always had a team in England as well, which was strange. Like so, I was always brought up like I love Liverpool and Celtic, so you had like two teams, mm. which is a bit strange. I'm sure for the English, because I'm sure they're only you've one team, and that's it. Oh, I don't know, in Swindon, um, you'll get a lot of uh, Premier League clubs that others will support. I'm Swindon um, to the core, but uh, <laughs> but 
you know, we can't be picky with our fans these days. We'll take whoever can come through the turnstiles. You know yeah, I mean. that's it. You've you've been tested, but over the years with Swindon, it's been a it's been a long, rough ride, hasn't it? At times, like yes. for all the fans to, to it, deal with. It's a it's a roller coaster where sometimes they won't let you off, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we wouldn't have it any other way. Well, maybe sometimes. Yeah. So who so you supported Celtic and uh, and Liverpool as a child? So I mean, you're going to rattle off some big names here who you idolised, but I'd love to know who they were. Well, when I was growing up, the main money's on the TV. I was watching them the night thirty. It's on BT Sports. Henry Larson. Mm. We just loved them. So what they'd grown up watching him play he was absolutely superb. You know, it was a time when people would have said that he couldn't make it in England and the biggest clubs are in the world. And so we used to laugh and say he could play on any team across Europe, and he could. After his dolls team in Celtic, he, he was just Celtic were so fortunate to have him. Like he was genuinely world class. There's no doubt about it. And then he went to obviously Man United and did the business there, and he went to Barcelona after and did the business, which proved everybody how good he really was. But he was some player to watch. And he was another one like we we used to get the boat over to Glasgow because it wasn't that much from Belfast to Glasgow to get over. It was loads of Celtic supporters clubs and all. So I went to my first ever game when I was ten years of age. It was and then you were just hooked at the old uh, at the old Celtic ground even before it was done up. So yeah, yeah, it was always uh, oh, always going to say great supporting a big big team like that there, a big club. What was the journey from Belfast to Glasgow like? So if you on a match day, did you go just for the day or did you stay overnight? Yeah, we would have went more more often than that. It would have been the day. You would have got the boat at six o'clock in the morning down in Belfast, mm-hmm. and then um, you would have got the boat over, and then there would have been a bus at Matthew there, and you drove to Glasgow. You would have watched the game, and then uh, you'd have got on the bus on the way back, and then the boat back that night. So it was a long day, like it was no doubt about it, but it was brilliant. Like the crack and the atmosphere was unbelievable, always on the boat and on the buses. Not that's a good crack, like now Richie finds Ferry. Beaten away by Colgan. Oh, it's loose. It's Ferry again. And that has surely sealed Twindon's place in round two. to the football scene in Belfast growing up so what was the junior sort of setup like was it competitive was it was it like boys clubs yeah it was um, when I was growing up it was local boys clubs there wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been there was this, the Irish League which I'm involved in now but when uh, when I when I was a, a kid growing up you would have played for your local team so my local team around Ballymurphy was a team called Newhill and we played in the in the local Belfast League was called the Down and Connor and it would have been very similar uh, what it is now, you know, you had your local Catholic teams and your local Protestant teams, and you just played against each other, and you even had your your rivalries even from then, just because of your religion and what what side of the wall you came from. But um, but it was good. It was a good upbringing. It was tough playing playing them teams, and uh, I think everybody growing growing up in Belfast were brought up uh, tough, real real tough characters, and because of uh, obviously what was going on and the way, well, a lot of Irish people say they were brought up tough anyway, like, but. <laughs> Um, but I, that added to it, you know, with with the troubles going on at the time. So, so yeah, um, I played for that local club, uh, Newhill, and it was when I went. We we used to take trips to like uh, Blackpool and uh, Whitley Bay in Newcastle, and that's where Swindon actually seen me play. I was maybe fourteen or fifteen at the time, and Phil Cannon, who was the the academy director then, would have been. He he spotted me playing. He was up in Newcastle watching it and. He had asked my my club could he take me over to Swindon for a trial, 
so that's where it all sort of came came about and went over there went over on a trial did quite well I think it was the first game I played for Swindon I was playing centre midfield and we played somebody anyway I think it might have been Plymouth or something uh, we beat them 3-0 and I scored a hat-trick so it wasn't bad for, for a trial game and then we played Bristol City I think it was on the Sunday so it was a Saturday and then the Sunday and we beat Bristol City 1-0 which was a local rivalry I didn't really know at the time and I scored that game as well Good so it was, it was a great uh, it was a great weekend for me personally and then Steve McMahon they, even then they must have spoke about it and they wanted to offer me a contract right away and I just came, I, I didn't say anything but came back a few times before I fancy had decided to, to sign and move over When you were growing up as the article alluded to I mean you, you spent some of your time in your early teens like throwing stones at the British so there must have been even though maybe every kid did it and now you've got interest from England to come over which are you know in many ways in many circles within where you're raised the enemy was there any reluctance to move to England and Swindon given the politics that you were raised within no no not really and my family were very very good my family even though where we're from weren't into um into politics and never they never really were and they always uh, brought us up. They were a very religious Catholic family, and my mum's always been the same. She still goes to church very, very regularly, and they've all did that. And they always brought us up to treat people how you're treated, and uh, if somebody's nasty, it doesn't matter what their background is or where they come from, you be nice to them and always treat people with respect. And so we were brought up in that sort of state. Now, on top of all this, um, my grandmother, uh, my dad's mother, she lived in Ballamurphy, and, and she was from the east end of London. She only passed away last year at 91, and she still had the thickest Cockney accent you've ever seen. So I always I always used to find that it was really strange for her, because my granddad was over in London working, and he met her when she was young and brought her over brought her over to Belfast when she was maybe 18, and they got married, and the rest is history. So I'm sure it was even difficult for her being English, lived in the middle of Ballamurphy. So we used to laugh at her, going, what way you, what way you about this, like... She's going, we used to give her some stick and all sitting there, you're all for queen and country and all this. And then she used to just shake her head at us. So there was something wrong with you. But uh, it, was, it was a bit surreal. And on top of that as well, I had a, my uncle, um, he was uh, he was from the Shankill Road. He was a Protestant from the Shankill Road, which was complete, obviously, at that time would have been absolute, like where we lived on the Springfield, Ballamurphy Falls Road against the Shankill was like complete like hatred over there. And... Uh, my mum's sister and my uncle fell in love and they got married and so we always had that side where we were always we were we always as a family had a lot of tolerance tolerance for it you know that way mm-hmm. so I think I when I was about 12 I think it was 12 or 13 because it was decent to football I was asked by Shankle to because it was like a cross community thing to go over and play for their team Shankle boys and most people would have said no but I said I oh, why not you know I'll go over and try it and see these kids lived literally five minutes from me and there's a peace wall in between it, in between where we live. But I didn't know who they were or what they were or because of this big wall. So as a young lad, I was fascinated because I knew you couldn't go into these areas. Mm. Like, and I didn't know who these people were. You had to live literally two, two to five minutes away. I could have drove it in two minutes and walked it in five minutes into these areas. But you weren't allowed, obviously, because it was, it was a... Uh, it was a Protestant British back, uh, community, so you weren't allowed to win, or else you could have been in big trouble. Even as a child, you were told that. Now, Ferry to the byline. Devita! They have turned it around. Simon Ferry to the byline, and he had the presence of mind to pick out Rafael Devita. 
How did you find then settling into Swindon after after spending all your life in Belfast? Yeah, it was difficult, um, very difficult. I moved over in ninety was it ninety seven mm-hmm. summer of ninety seven it was, and like I say, as all our life growing up, it was we were kept in our own communities, and I was a I've real family oriented still on now, and just to, to say that because it was my dream, I wanted just all I thought about was being a footballer, and it was my dream. I was offered this opportunity, and it was something I couldn't turn down, so I was all for it, but. It was, at the time, it was surreal because you're only 16 and you're moving to a different country, no one you know, and you just don't don't know how it's going to sell or how it's going to go. But when I left, my mum and dad always said, listen, you're only a flight away. You're, it's an hour to get you from Belfast to, to London. We'll come over and get you if, you know, it's not for you and you're not happy. So that, that, was, that sort of settled me down. I always remember that conversation where, look, I'm not, it's not the end of the world. If it doesn't work out, it's a... It's a bus drive up to London and then flight home and you're home in an hour. So that gave me a real confidence to go over and say, look, all you can do is just try it and see how you settle in. But yeah, it was completely different. You were, uh, even the people, even like I'm laughing now, but the people in Swindon and Southern England are so different to the Northern Irish guys that people, it's just completely, completely different way of life, you know, um, not being disrespectful to the Swindon people, but because we were brought up in our communities, everybody knew everybody, mm. if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. When I, went over, when, I, when I went over there, I think you had to know everybody because of what was going on. But you, you did, like, you knew, you just knew everybody. And when I went to Swindon and I settled in, I was like, you, people didn't really speak to their neighbours or anything. And I was going, this is so different than the, the one I'm used to. And I found that really hard. But probably it was probably a tough age for me because it was 16, you know, I was too young to go to nightclubs and bars to meet people. People were out of school and you were only really stuck with the football. And then I moved in with a family, which helped me really well, just off the Swindon ground in Trivenham Road. Uh, they were a great family, uh, Mark and Wendy Rawlings, you called them, and another wee four-year-old boy, and he kept, he kept us busy, Wesley. And uh, it was right behind the park. Hmm. And I, I just literally run about that park and behind Swindon's ground, you know, when I got a bit of free time and stuff. I so it was completely different settling down, but it was something that was enjoyable. It taught me a lot in life. It taught me a lot. How did how else did the club help you settle in that time? Well, the, the club the club had they had just bought um, digs uh, across the road. Is it up beside the county ground pub, the other end of the county ground pub? Yeah. Um, it was like two houses in one or something. And the, um, the guy I can't remember his name now. He took over it, and a lot of the guys went in there who weren't from Swindon. But there was me and another guy from Northern Ireland who came over, Richard Culbertson, Ricky Culbertson. Me and him moved in with Mark and Wendy, <laughs> and it was sort of um, just sort of they said to like you would have been there maybe from nine o'clock in the morning to three in the afternoon, and then if they would say right, you're going back to Mark and Wendy's now to get your dinner and settle down and and get ready but if you're a bit lonely and you're not too bad take a walk up to that house and you would have seen the other guys so that would have been a lot of things we would have did so after we got our dinner and settled down and stuff if we got a bit bored we would have uh, took a walk up to the, the, the Diggs house and seen the guys who was there there was a couple of guys from Wales and three guys from uh, Newcastle and there was a couple from Liverpool and we all would have just, just bunked in and just had a bit of crack with each other you know even though we'd, we'd spent all day together mm. But yeah, yeah, that's what we sort of did. That so there, there wasn't, there wasn't loads that would have did for us at that time. Like they wouldn't have sat up big days out and stuff like that, or nights out or whatever. Yeah. But you just sort of get on with it. So when you joined, did you join on a pro deal or did you go on YTS forms? 
I, I signed on a YTS, but I was, I think, well, they always told me this, and it says I was one of the first ones to be offered a pro when I signed. I sort of signed a three, it was like a two-year deal, but I signed a three-year. Mm. It was a two-year two YTS, and then a one-year pro, you were guaranteed a one-year pro at the end of it. Yeah. So that, that's that's what they said they hadn't handed that out before, so that's the way it sort of worked. Um yeah, to get me saying. At the time, I was playing for Northern Ireland and doing quite well as well. I was in the Northern Ireland under-16 finals in Germany. And I scored two goals out there. And actually, Phil Cannon came out to Germany to get me to sign up. So he always tells, like to tell me afterwards that big clubs were coming in for me at the time. And I said, I said well, I wish you hadn't got on that flight to Hills to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one problem after another. It was nothing to do with like no regret in Swindon or anything. You know, everybody was so good to me. Mm-hmm. It was just at that at that time, it seemed really w- good, but over the five years I was there, it was just one problem after another, after another. And to be fair, I, I look back on it and be disappointed at times, but I actually say to myself, well, you did well to survive for five years mm-hmm. because there were so many changes, managerial, coaches, but boardroom, chairmans. It was just wild at the time. It was a really tough period for the club. The reason why I asked about the YTS or the Pro, because you are, even though you don't play, you are drafted into the first team by Steve McMahon, quite early into your time at Swindon um, for a draw against Nottingham Forest. Did you have much interaction with Steve McMahon in those early days? Were, was it an injury crisis or were you performing well no, in the youth I was, Yeah, I, I'll never forget it. I came over as a 16-year-old and I played because of my, my, go back to my Irish background, Irish and uh, nationalist, I played Gaelic and Hurling. So we were brought up playing uh, Gaelic football and Hurling, which was like tough sports over here. It's real massive. Yeah. And uh, I, my fitness was through the roof at that time, like as a 16-year-old. And when I came over and trained with the youth team, it was like, I was doing really well in all the runs and all the training. And then I remember he brought me up out to uh, Ali Dunbar and had me running with the first team. It was like a massive run. It was like maybe... Back in the day, I'm thinking it was maybe five mile or something around the whole uh, the whole of the estate, and I I, think I came in fifth or even their first team and stuff, which was really good for a 16 year old. And I knew he was very impressed with that. Never made my football, so he always spoke to me and was thought highly of me because he, he actually came to Belfast to see me. By the way, um, he actually flew over to Belfast even wanted to see me. So mm-hmm. at that time, he showed a lot of a lot of love that he was very impressed with me and wanted me to see big team. So, yeah, so he was very good to me, and I think it was training three weeks or four weeks after coming over and um, with the youth team, and he had me on the first team, training with the first team, and then we were playing the Island Forest, and I remember training with the first team on the Friday, and the guy's going, you're going to be on the bench. It was only like, I was only there, but maybe five weeks, and like I say, as a 16-year-old, there was a wee skinny runt, and they put me on the bench, and I'll never forget walking out the county ground with a crowd that was a real big crowd at the time, because there was optimism at that time. And Pierre van Houdonk, who was a Celtic legend, was on the bench because he came back from Nine and Forest. He had that yeah. big thing where he walked away. And he was on the bench and he hugged me and all. And he walked out and he goes, uh, he, he spoke to me as I was walking out. He was on the bench. He goes, you young? I says, just 16. And then he spoke to me and he says, well, good luck. And he rubbed my hair. And I said to him, you're not going to believe this. And I, he says, yes. And I says, I have a photo of you in my bedroom back home in Belfast. Mm-hmm. And I did tell you, it wasn't even a joke. <laughs> I'm standing beside him. He was like a big machine, it's like six foot four, built like a tank. And me, I'm standing beside this big lad here, four and a half million moved. <laughs> I was thinking that hopefully this would be the start of a big career, but obviously it didn't go to plan. You do make your debut though um, that season, um, and 
you you have achieved something that hundreds, probably hundreds of players um, who have worn the Swindon shirt since you haven't achieved, and that's Tier 2 football, the Championship, what is now. You get 20 minutes away at Norwich City, big team. It's a big loss as well. It's a 5-0 loss, and it's, the, it's done by the time you get in. Um, yeah. But from a selfish point... <laughs> From a selfish point of view, you just must be happy that you've you've made you've got those minutes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, at that team, um, when I was made the bench and was doing quite well, and he never put me on that game, and I was going right, I said to myself, I need to really kick on here, and and you know, I'm so close even at, at this age, and I tur- I was playing a reserve game maybe two weeks later. I'll never forget it. It was the against Charlton at the county ground Scott Parker he's an England international and was Charlton legend he hit me such a tackle and it was put me out for nearly four months three or four months my ankle it didn't break but it really damaged my ankle ligaments and uh, that put me off a wee bit and I was only making the comeback coming Christmas time and then getting back and then I started to do really well again and he brought me into the squad at that time uh, like it was against Norwich I can't remember what time of the year it was yeah but uh, it was good they had a full house they were flying at the time I think they were beating us 4-0 yeah. and it was just great to be I, I'll never forget running up and down the sideline you know mm-hmm. um, hearing the crowd going mental shouting at you know and people would panic but I got a real buzz with it I was like this is brilliant this is class they were shouting you must be rubbish if you can't get on this team and I was laughing at them and all in the crowd and they gave me 20 minutes and I wasn't afraid going on you know never never have been in football and I really really enjoyed it I think I went on, we were getting beat 4 0, we ended up getting beat 5 0. So it was staying on, got a few touches of the ball, and really enjoyed, enjoyed the atmosphere and thought to myself, I'd love to do this every weekend we could. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Who were amongst the most talented pros that you, you played alongside or trained alongside at Swindon? Well, one of the young guys I played with, two of the young guys I actually played with in the youth team. It was another guy around my age called Fraser McHugh. Yeah. And he has similar sort of problems that I had. I just I think that the team, you know, there was that many changes and that much trouble going on at the club. The managers who were coming in were afraid to take a real big chance on the youth. Mm. And... We you, and the, when you look back on it, you go the teams was that bad. You should have played the youth. You know, that's one thing I would have learned. But Fraser McHugh, he, he had loads of skill, loads of ability. He was big, he was strong, and you really thought he would have been an asset for the club. And it's, he was sort of the same. He got the he got to the fringes of the first team, and then did bits and pieces, and it just went sideways. And then there was a guy, Robin Holbert. Um, he was a year above us. Um, loads and loads of skill technical ability was fantastic absolutely fantastic really superb and then there, there was a few other guys that came in there was a striker is it Stevie Cowie you called him yeah Steve Cowie yeah Steve Cowie yeah. yeah he was a wee small striker I think he came in from Aston Villa under Steve McMahon yeah but um, loads of ability real loads of ability but yeah watching him and training was different gravy so it was now I think as they got older the likes of Mark Walters came in he had obviously Mark Walters a good career Liverpool and Rangers and stuff and yeah, he had a lot of ability, but he was sort of coming to the end of his career. Yeah, so they, they would have been... That's who I would remember now. If I go through, like I say, I've played, I played in that many different teams from from was that age now. It's trying to remember everybody at that certain time. And like I say, it was really difficult for me at Swindon because I was a young lad coming through and it seemed like players were getting one-year contracts and coming in and coming out and disappearing and 
common bargain stuff. It was like I say, it was a real difficult time for the club. Yeah, and your pal Rick Colbertson got close as well, didn't he? Um, before he left football, I'm pretty sure he was on the bench a couple of times or once yeah, or two times, but he didn't quite yeah. make it through either. Yeah, that's it. So it's just a free a few of the young guys made the peripheral of the team, like, and then just sort of like you said, just went sideways and then they moved on and went on to different things. So yeah, it's real difficult. Like at the time when I was sixteen, you're thinking I'll go over to. England and make myself a millionaire watching all these TV programs, but it just doesn't work out like that. You're only really starting again, and you have a whole you have a whole ball of work to do to get yourself going and get yourself established. And it's difficult. It is difficult for young guys going over and moving home at that such a young age and trying to keep themselves mentally and physically right at all times to to succeed. But Northern Ireland is still still looking at you because you get under twenty one caps during your time at Swindon. It's as far as you went internationally, but still must have been fantastic for you to pick up those caps. Yeah, yeah. Um it was unbelievable at the time. You were going away with the Northern Ireland first team and um like I said, I think at the time I was sort of sort of close to the first team. I was in and I was on the I think it was quite a lot a lot of teams I was on the on all new sub, maybe thirty teams I would have thought. That there was, and I was chomping at the bit, going, "Give me a chance, give me a chance," and it never just seemed to. You're training every day with the first team and going, "Just give me an opportunity," and it just didn't seem to come. And I was sitting there getting so frustrated, going, "I'm easily as good as these guys here," and the team was struggling. And you know, obviously, you're going to say that, but I did believe in myself, and I just didn't think it was given the opportunity. But that they obviously seen it was was on the bench for the first team and took me over for the Northern Ireland under 21s, and I always seemed to do quite well when I came back and playing and obviously travelled around Europe with the squad and you know, had a few caps and uh, it was a really enjoyable time I seem um, I seem to remember you. I think I, I tried to do your research on your under 21s, it's something like you play Malta and Germany and maybe Denmark I think, but yeah. definitely, you seem to be always playing Malta well, I would play Malta a few times and I actually went out to Malta to play the Emmons twice, mm. so you're 100% I actually was in Malta twice to play the Emmons, it was a beautiful wee uh, island I loved it out there, um, yeah so I would play some, te- was it, some decent teams yeah it was, good, it was good times, I really enjoyed it, like I said, you just wish I had kicked on when I came back to Northern Ireland I played at Linfield and one of the best teams in Linfield's history and we won everything and I was Laurie Sanchez was a manager and he brought me in to train with the first team squad a few times but that was as close as I got to it back then uh, so that was even good training with the guys training with like, Steve Davis and David Healy and Kay Lafferty and stuff and Grant McCann um, England England slayers from the uh, the one now um, yeah yeah that's right <laughs> I was around about that time mm. so it was, would have been around about that time and Laurie, and, uh, and Laurie Sanchez is ex-Swindon as well uh, that's right he was ex-Swindon him and that as we mate as well was the assistant manager can't remember his name at all. Who would have been his assistant there? Uh, but, uh, Gibson. Oh, Terry Gibson. Terry Gibson, yeah. Very brief spell in 92-93. Lovely stuff. Uh, that is uh, mad. League One. As you said, you, you've got... You, you were at Swindon for five seasons, a very complex period in Swindon's history. Not the greatest by any stretch, probably a very stressful time if you're a member of the squad uh, more than anything. Um, this is an era where lots of fans left and never returned because of the way the club was operated. But we're going to go yeah. through the managers first and the coaches. And then, um, so we're going to go all the way through if that's okay with you. Yeah. So yeah. You've all, we've already mentioned Steve McMahon. So Steve McMahon would have been one, you would have been watching him as a sort of a, a sort of a light Liverpool fan. So you've, you arrive, he goes to Northern Ireland to sign you up. He is a controversial figure with the fans for various reasons. But beyond when he signed you, was your general experiences of McMahon good? No, no, I I, uh, I really like Steve McMahon. He had a lot of time for me and was very good with me. 
And I know there was other guys that didn't particularly like him, but I can only speak for how he treated me, and he treated me fantastically well, and treated my family fantastically well, and, and he really rated me as a player, and I was gutted to see him go. And obviously, everybody's going to have their own insight into, into him, but like I says, I, I couldn't speak any enough of him. He was very good to me. I, I know at the, at the end of it, he was he was very tense and stuff and wouldn't have spoke too much, but even as a 16, 17-year-old, I, I understood what he was going through, you know, but um, he was never difficult with me or anything. Um, he was sort of always quite, quite good, positive, and taught me because he was a midfield player, and I, I was a wee bit of an in awe of him because I watched him in the eighties playing for Liverpool, and you know, and I told him all that as well as a, probably as a fan as well. And so he always did take a bit of time and took a bit of time with me in midfield runs, how I should go, where, what I should do here, there, and. No, he was very good to me, so there was nothing uh, negative. I, I would have to say that about Stephen Mullen, but I've heard the stories, and obviously people have their own take on, on it and stuff. Next up was Jimmy Quinn, um, a favourite on the terraces of Windsor Park when you would have been growing up. How did you react to that appointment? Yeah, I thought it would have been really good for me, to be honest with you. He actually was from a similar uh, background with us. Obviously, he moved to England, I think, remembering the story. He moved to England when he was maybe 12 or something. This Was it Swindon? Or yeah, just outside of Swindon? He, um, Swindon was his first um, pro club, yeah. Uh, so I think he, he moved just wherever it was as a 12-year-old. But he, he grew up in West Belfast as well, for obviously as a young age, and then moved over, the family moved over. Mm. And I thought that would have been a good settling in period for me and Alan McDonald from Northern Ireland as well as his assistant I thought that would have been a good thing for me again but um, obviously playing with him you know it was the same again it was on the peripheral of the of the first team you know of making the team mm-hmm. on the bench and around the bench reserves back out and I just felt like I just needed a chance to play and they weren't giving me that opportunity and they said I needed to do this I needed to beef up I needed to get bigger I needed to get stronger and it was sort of that mentality when you were back then and I'm thinking to myself, no, I'm I'm good at getting about the park. I can get about the park late and quickly, and I didn't need to beef up. There. I wasn't afraid of anybody, so I didn't need to get. That was in my opinion, and it was still it's still what I would say. I would still say to this day, I wouldn't change my mind on it. Um, but now they just didn't seem to give me a chance, and then Jimmy was under big pressure at the time as well. They were struggling, and they just they couldn't seem to get out of this this um these just neg- There was just a lot of negativity going around the club at that time, and. The team was struggling big time and they just weren't well because they were fighting for their jobs, fighting for their lives. They weren't willing to take um, an opportunity to, to blood young guys who were going for the senior guys who were brought in and maybe they weren't performing but they were sort of sticking with them. When, because nearer to the end, Jimmy Quinn was playing himself. Um, I think he was yeah. the number 40 shirt. And do you, never, do you ever think to yourself, do you know what, I'll go up front. You know, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give it a go. Uh, don't get me wrong, I don't want to be too harsh on him but it used to drive me mad in training, like because you, you're trying. Like I was thinking to myself, I'm a young lad trying to progress in England, and all my career, all my life, I'm going right. You go to England, that's the next step, and these coaches are going to take you on, and they're going to look after you, and they're going to show you how to play professionally. This is how you make your runs. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And a lot of the times with Jimmy Quinn, he was always, he was always like wanting to play five or six games, and him playing the games every day. And I, was, I always remember saying to myself, is, is it about him or is it about the team? Is he the manager or is he the player? Do you know, it was like at times he, uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't get his mind, even though he was a manager, he couldn't get his mind over that he, that he wasn't meant to play no more, that he was retired. <laughs> he just keep, he wanted to train every day and play every day and score goals. But he was still a decent player at the team. Like, I think that's why he came back and sort of played a couple of games. 
because in training he was still he was quite he was good quality. But I was thinking to myself, you know, you should be concentrating on the on the guys a bit more than yourself. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I always felt sorry for Queen simply as he didn't stand any chance given the the plight of the club at the time. Colin Todd replaced him late into that season, like for the last game. It's a big name appointment, really. Did you have much experience with him? Oh, <laughs> there's another story there. As soon as he came in, there was, uh, I think it was six young lads who were just seen like a year pros or two year pros or whatever it was. And I just gassed all the all the six young lads. And I think it was, uh, what did you, oh, what did you call him? He played for Chelsea, the right back. Oh, his name's just left me as we're talking here. Sorry, Rich. That's okay. You know who I'm talking about? He played he played for Swindon's first team and played for Chelsea. Oh, yeah, Gareth Hall, yeah. Gareth Hall. Uh, he gassed him and maybe one more senior. And then it was like six and he made us train on our own. And you're going, as a young lad, trying to come over and you're going... Is, is this really happening? We just went into training after he came and signed and said, you um, guys aren't wanted no more. He didn't even do one training session with us mm. and just said, go and train on your own. And that was really difficult to take as a young lad. Yeah. You you're weren't long in and you're going, is he for real? I've never experienced anything like this. And because uh, because it just wasn't myself that you sort of were able to deal because it was another six or seven, you were able to deal with it. And you're going, right, okay, what's happened here? This is crazy. Mm. But to be fair, I, f- I, fought my f- I fought my way back in with him because um, he sort of started watching reserve games and stuff and was doing quite well and he actually brought me back into the first team and I was sort of seeing him again. Just got the, the edge of the first team panel and just never quite made it. And then he had a real tough time as well. He was tough and well, he was nasty at times, like, but he really struggled. The results didn't go his way. I think he just thought he was going to turn it around and it just didn't seem to happen for him. No, he got a good out by going back to... Derby County, Derby where, County, where yeah. he is obviously a legend. legend yeah. um, but I just don't understand. I mean, regardless of of who makes the decisions, but I don't understand how anyone can walk in and go, "You're gone, you're gone, you're yeah. gone, you're gone." When no. when you've not had a session. Yeah, unbelievable. I've never I've never witnessed anything like it in my life, and I thank God I've never witnessed anything from it. I've, um, I've been on a manager and a coach over in Northern Ireland. I would never ever think of doing that to someone. Mm. You know, I'd always give everybody an equal opportunity, but uh, unfortunately, he didn't see that that way at the time. So I don't know what kind of statement he was trying to make. But it wasn't a great statement because he was just bombing kids, really, except for one or two pros. Well, when he left, um, he left behind his old buddy Andy King. Um, he was an old school manager, not known for his tactical ability. Um, he's, he's been much discussed on this podcast. Um, but what were your experiences of him? Oh, my God. God, God rest him. Didn't he die there a couple of years yeah, ago? He eh? did, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Like, you know, I'm not to speak all the dead. But yeah, for me, he was, he was, he was tough. Tough, tough thing. I look back on it though. Um, I just <laughs> it wasn't great. Now, like, like I said, for me, just me and him never clicked. I don't think we clicked from the start. And it was the same again. He reminded me of Jimmy Quinn. It was all about him, all about him. Training sessions. He played for PSV. Played for Everton. Blah. Yes, and it's good to hear stories like that. You love to hear, but he just went on and on about how good he was and this, that, and the R and how crap everybody was mm-hmm. in the team. And he was he was tough work at times, like let me tell you. He was a bit of a character. He thought he was, he was a bit of a character and uh, loud and, you know, that way. But he was just there. Uh, he wasn't my cup of tea, to be honest with you. And um, when it, when he left and Roy Evans came in, I've, I've never been so happy. <laughs> it was great. It was it was great at the team and Roy Evans actually was a proper football manager you know he was great I mean but yeah Kingy Kingy was just he just he was a bit mad as Sandrick you know a lot, of, a lot of life was about him and what he did and he was a, he was a big character he was a big voice but 
uh, like you say, tactical awareness and stuff like that, and actually thinking about the team and how we played and thinking about people before players and getting people happy. Yeah. Do you know, he, he, he had none of that. But no, do you know, that's just my personal opinion. He had none of that. I mean, you make people happy and make people happy as a group. Then that's the that's first step for me. And then, then it's the footballers afterwards. But there was just a lot going on at the team with, with Kingy as well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've talked to, from the second King era, um, I've spoke to Matt Hayward. I've spoke to uh, Reese Evans. And um, if I spoke to anybody else from there, but it was fascinating to listen to their contrast because Matt Haywood was very part, very much a part of the uh, Andy King card school. I think Reese Evans called it, um, but Reese Evans, the goalkeeper, didn't get along with King at all. So it was either you played golf and cards or you didn't, and that, yeah. that was what made you a friend of Andy King's. That was it. That was it. The uh, he seemed to like Matty Haywood because I would have run about with Matty Haywood a bit as he was a young pro coming in from Burnley. And um, with a good crack together and a good relationship, but yeah, he seemed to like Matty. Matty was a big, you know, for that league tier three, he was six foot four, whatever I mean, and could head a ball. And I think Kingy seen that as a big advantage for that league and looked after him. Where I would have been probably a bit more like Kingy would have been more well in terms of I would have thought I had more technical ability in a footballing brain, which probably he didn't see at his third tier of English football. He needed to be a big bruiser who whacked people left, right, and centre. But um, yeah, I, I think he got on quite well with him. But no, I, I wouldn't have been a fan, sorry to say. Not at all. But as you mentioned, Roy Evans came in for a brief time with Neil Ruddock. Again, I refer to the fact that you're this Liverpool supporting kid from West Belfast yeah. and suddenly you're in front of Roy Evans and Neil Ruddock. That yeah. must have been surreal. Ah, uh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. I remember Neil Rudd was so funny. He was absolutely character. Uh, he was he was complete opposite because he used to show you the. He was that mad, but at mad in a good way. He used to bring the young guys out, say with a day off on a Wednesday. He used to say, right, meet in the bar after training, and he would have sat in the bar with you all day and got to know you and told his stories about his career and all. And he was, you know, it was something you could you could like you looked up to and you and you really enjoyed that. You know, it was brilliant. It was a breath of fresh air. You know, fair enough, the drinking and all wasn't, I suppose, great, but it was what he brought to the party. He he brought you in and, and wanted to get to know you, and fair enough, it was on the drink, but he wanted to talk about you, your background, tell him about about his stories. He was good to you in training. He worked you hard in training, but he also tried to help you, whether you were a striker, a midfielder, or a defender. You know, he was really, really good and a real, real character, and he, he wasn't overly mean to anybody. You know, where some people, some, I remember the managers, some people used to just get at people all the time, and I used to think to myself, if you keep getting out people like this, you're never going to get the best out of them. You're never going to, if you keep going on and on and on. But he was brilliant at it. And then the, on top of that, because he was playing under Roy Evans, Roy Evans was a genius by my eyes. I near cried when he was leaving. I literally did near cry. And then when, when I, I remember the time when we heard rumours that Andy King was coming back and you're going, no chance he's going back after what happened to him. And then he, we were on a team bus away to somebody and he just stepped on the bus and he goes, I'm back or something. I'm back. I was like, oh my god! I can't. I've just woke up into my worst ever nightmare. This can't be real. And I, and then I knew it was real because it was Swindon Town. Because anything could have happened at that stage. Anything could have happened. And only at Swindon Town would something like that ever happen. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, Where you get sacked and then you're on garden leave for eight or nine months, and then all of a sudden the new board came in and then take you back on. Yeah. It was just as as this as this really happening here. 
How influential was Evans to you um, as a coach now? Because you're coaching in Belfast now. Uh, so how much, how influential was that period for you? Uh, unbelievable, fantastic. The only regret that I ever have is that uh, Swindon couldn't hold on to him. He was a genius. Mm. He really was an awful Liverpool background. The way he took training, the way he spoke to you, whether you were a senior or a youngster, the way he pulled you to the side and taught you bits about your game, what your strengths were as a person, what your strengths were as a person, what your weaknesses were as a person. He took time on you. He took time on you off the training ground. He took time uh, on the training ground. He was just fun. He was brilliant. If Swindon could have held on to him for obviously the money problems and all went again, but if they could have, it would have. I truly believe it would have been a completely different story. Um, he was the best band male by a country male compared to the rest of the managers and coaches was uh, absolutely fantastic he was couldn't speak highly enough of him he just knew his football inside out but more importantly he knew people inside out he he, he got to know people and then tr- tried to find out the best way to get the best out of them and it was also great you talking about Ruddick because from a fan's perspective he was pretty much known for only two things one a great free kick he scored I think it may be even on his debut and two the, big um, shorts. the shorts exactly oh, so I'll never forget that day yeah. I think he had to put on 80 pairs of shorts or something and Sports Direct to get him a pair the fit the fit is the fit is big ours but yeah it was brilliant I remember that day as well it was so funny and he was laughing so he was just taking the piss out of himself he was laughing about it and all and he was just going this guy's just a complete character and then I just really fell in love with him because he was like, you know, he was genuine. He was a madman, but he was genuine. He loved the crack and didn't disrespect you because you were younger or you were just a kid. He talked to you the same as you, as you would talk to a senior player. And for me, I loved that. There were some <coughs> senior players wouldn't even look at you because you were just a kid. Yeah, he was, he was brilliant. Um, yeah, and like I say, he used to take us out and take us out drinking and the crack and all he used to have with us was brilliant. And, I remember a team I wasn't driving. He uh, he was taking me up to training, and it's, uh, it was one of the first, back in then. I think it was an X5, maybe a BMW X5 back in whatever that was, two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Mm-hmm. And he was just he was just so funny, even though we up to training and stuff. Yeah. Just like you say, just a real character. of the club and reality is that many Swindon Town fans as I mentioned earlier gave up during this tenure Um, just 4,701 people watched Town's home win against Huddersfield in what is now the championship um, which is absolutely crazy given the capacity of the ground it's a miserable period for the supporters um, but it must have been a struggle as a member of the staff as well yeah without doubt like I said I was a young lad at the time and you could sort of uh, cut the tantrum of an eighth you know, it was just negativity surrounding the club in terms of the squad, in terms of people who were working in the uh, in the offices, who was the managing director, who was the chairman, right through to the fans. It was just, it seemed like it was just chaos, even, even as a young lad, just trying to train and trying to understand what was really going on. But, um, like you say, if, if a, you like a club to move in the same direction, everybody to be going in the same direction, but the team, everybody... It was like uh, that roundabout just outside outside the ground. It was seven different, mm. seven different areas. What do you call the magic roundabout? That's the one. It was, like, it was just like chaos at the time and 
I'll always, always remember that going. Me, maybe be easier going back and jumping on the streets of Belfast again. This is that mod over here. Yeah. Uh, so it was a tough time. It, just like I say, it's a time that I don't know how I hung in for five years. Well, this is it. I, I mean, this is what I'm going to say because in 1999, 2000, town are almost dead. Um, players are getting the hell out of the place and we enter administration. Were there any way for you to leave or did you feel that you were committed to the club? Or Yeah, it was strange because I, I was one of the few players that I was so naive. I didn't have an agent at the time. I didn't have an agent my whole career. and um, I was given that deal and I signed the deal and I, I kept just doing enough to, to get another deal and get another deal. And Yeah, it was difficult, but looking back on it, I was years ago, I had a bit more knowledge. I had the knowledge I had now and I probably... Without being disrespectful, I probably would have tried to jump ship and go mm. elsewhere because um, it was just like I say, it was a real difficult time, and it was just the negativity that surrounded the club was hard. To, it was hard to stay focused, and you know, even as a young lad, the managers seemed to chop and change, and then you were going, "Man, I have to, I have to try and deliver here every day for this new manager, and I need to deliver again. What if he's not looking what kind of player I am?" And your mind, mentally, it was draining no doubt about it mentally it was draining and to be honest when I did leave at the end I was actually glad mm. I was glad I left so it was but uh, that's another story as well not get too deep into that I'll start on uh, Andy King again <laughs> um, <laughs> How do you motivate yourself when I mean it's, it's when there's no guarantees that you're going to get paid and you're losing on the pitch how do you keep yourself how do you get out of bed at, in the morning well, well for me it was always you wanted to be a top footballer and be the best you can be and you know once you started learning about getting on about money too much, then then, then it starts going sideways. Where I always wanted to try and make it and be a footballer. And the one thing I always remembered was my debut against Norwich and that feeling of being on the pitch. I didn't care. We're going to beat four 0 It was just in front of whatever it was at the time. I think it may have been twenty four thousand people. The crowd going mental. Them their team flying, and just being on that pitch and being a part of it was just the best feeling in the world. And I just wanted that feeling again and again and again. I always remember just wanting to be there in the middle of it. And that, that motivated me. Mm. That motivated, motivated me the most. So it did. So I wanted to, I just wanted to learn my trade as a young lad. And by the time I got to 21, 22, I would be turning into a man. I would be, reg- I would be playing well enough and be a regular to start playing week in, week out on a decent team. Yeah. So that was my focus. But obviously it just didn't work out like that it just wasn't meant to be no I mean you sent on loan to uh, Kilkenny City in the Republic of Ireland in 2000 did you ever expect to return from that loan deal yeah it, was, it wasn't too sure at the time but it just says I'll go and give it a crack because I knew it was a good standard down there I'm down south it was always a decent standard and uh, you know when I went over to Swindon I thought this was going to be great football and it was going to be you're going to England to play professionally and these players are going to be out of this world and no disrespect to the players there, they just weren't mm. you know they were just average footballers, and and on top of that, they weren't doing well for the, nearly every season I was there. They were all struggling, so it was always a, a manly, manly tough. So when I went back and played there in that league, I, I played quite well and scored a few goals and set up a few goals. And actually went back to Swindon with a bit of confidence again. I went, I'm over there as a young lad, not doing really well. And when I did go back, um, the team was struggling for mm-hmm. players. I can't remember what it was, and he put me in against Oldham. We beat them three 0 and I did really well. Yeah, it's good. I thought. Yeah, scored, scored a nice goal as well. Here's me happy days, King. Yeah, I had no option but to play me, and I played really well. And then on the on the weekend, we were playing Oxford, and yeah. I went, I have to, I have to be playing, I have to be playing. We were way to Oxford, the local big local derby, and he put me on the bench, and then they even put me on. No, I mean he doesn't play you again for weeks either, does he? And I, I go on, I I went up to him and I went, 
you couldn't even get a team. I come on, you couldn't even win a game when we beat Oldham three 0 I've played and played a major, major part of it. And it's like I was a midweek game and the game was on a Saturday and you didn't play me. Oh, you're not ready for that game. You're not ready. Here's me, harm not ready. Here's me. Every team you're playing's getting beat. I says they're getting beat. I went over. You brought. You told me to go to Ireland for three months. I went. I think I scored three goals and um, assisted five and the three. No, did really well. Came back and scored a goal and I went. He has to give me a run now. And he just bend me for no reason. No reason. Yeah, I mean, looking at the looking at the fixtures, I mean, you miss the Oxford game and Swansea, but then there's also derbies against Bristol Rovers and Reading. So, you know, um, we need goals. And um, in those games, we score, well, we beat Oxford, hooray, um, but we draw and uh, lose to Reading. But then suddenly you get 90 minutes against Millwall. So, I mean, if, you, if you're not ready, throwing you into the den. It's, um, uh, it's very odd, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, like I said, he was a strange, strange character. It was like he was, I don't know what I used to say to my dad. It was like he was breaking you down. I just didn't understand him. Like, I always remember going, I'm definitely playing against Oxford. I have to be playing. I have to because I did so well and everybody was going. And then he bred the team out and it was on the bench. And then he didn't even put me on. It was like, what am I going to have to do for this guy? And he just, at the end, you just knew no matter what you did, it wasn't going to be enough for him because he just didn't see eye to eye with me. Do you know that way? It was like I did really well against his. The way I took it was maybe he was telling people, no, he's he's not good enough, he can't do it. And I was telling them, I'm good enough to play on this team. And then when he eventually gave me that chance when he came back, because he had no choice, I did really well, 1 3 0 scored. Mm. And it was like a big, I told you I can do it. But I thought he would have been a big man and went, no, you're 100%, you deserve a run on the team here. And he, and he didn't do it. And I'll never forget that. I would never do it on another human being. Like It, it was a big, big. Uh, it was a big learning learning curve for me and my life. So it was because it, it, on one hand, I wanted to kill him, and the other hand, I was like uh, so felt so nasty towards him. But and and then there was another side of me that just had to keep trying to prove him wrong, to keep trying to keep doing my best. But it was what it was, and it is what it is. Mm. Um, yeah, if I just felt if he had to give me more of an opportunity to the team, I would have done a lot better for the team and the club. That takes you into your last season with the club um, and it's with Andy King and you, you are very much more of the in the first team picture in your final season um, still not playing uh, as much that, football as you uh, would like it was Roy, Roy Evans was still there but wasn't it that time yeah, it, yeah it would have been Roy Evans to start and with then he came back, and then he came back in yeah. uh, after, the, after the scandal with the money and Roy Evans and Razor walked away yeah. and then he came on the team bus and I was near Cran because <clears throat> I was doing quite well under Roy and Neil Ruddock and they had offered me a new contract, um, which was nearly double the money I was on. It was actually it would have been my first big, big contract, and it just hadn't been signed. So they were really good to me and seen seen me as a, a as a good player. And then when uh, when they left, Andy King came back in and he, it was sort of talked about the contract, but it was never signed. Mm. And then a week before uh, the end of the season, he said to me the contract was agreed with um, Roy Evans and Neil Ruddock. He says it's it's not been agreed with me uh, I'm pulling it out mm. and I was like uh, could you not have told me that two or three months ago I says you've always knew you were going to do this so I've, I do I have, a, I, have a, I have a lot of feelings against it mm. because he did so many things wrong against me in his team um, like it is I was offered a contract agreed it with, with the board and uh, Roy Evans at the team just hadn't seen it because it wasn't a big deal because we didn't know what was going to happen yeah. and like I said King he pulled it off me I was there a week before the last game of the season Mike, we were playing Hull and he said to me, I'm not giving you a contract here. He says that money's being used for other things. And he just broke my heart. I was like, yeah, yeah see, if, like I was a, what was it, 2021? I was like, you know, I told me that two months 
to go so I can go and look for another club there's a week left of the season mm. I've been here from 16 I don't have an agent mm. so you've left me in the, like you've left me with nowhere to go so that's when I ended up just trying not to do see you later and just packed up and left and came back uh, came back to Ireland no it's crazy because you are playing quite a bit nearer to the end of the season as well so I mean yeah. as, except yeah. those four minutes you get against Reading I'm sure you remember what happened uh, in... yeah the tackle and then getting sent off uh, I remember that well oh, four I minutes was... <laughs> yeah I had another one of them in my career when I was back here with uh, Linfield as well so that's, that's, I was the first time it happened but it happened another time but yeah no I'll, I'll never forget it I think it was on was it um, ITV Digital it were doing was, it at yeah. the time? So they were the family was able to watch it back home. They watched it and obviously came on and then hit somebody a tackle. I don't even think it was a bad tackle. I just think it was harshly harshly done by. Mm. <coughs> and uh, got the red card in. There was a big Mally and everything, wasn't there? Yeah, was there big, was. Yeah, I think the two teams ran together and it had a bit of a bit of a ruckus. But yeah, it was unfortunate to be to be honest. Like I don't think it was that bad a tackle. I've actually seen it on YouTube and it wasn't a bad tackle. Wasn't as bad as I thought. Like, what were your highlights during your Swindon career? I mean, was the Man City away game up there? Yeah, definitely. Without doubt, um, Man City was unbelievable. Um, and I knew I was going to play before then, and actually played quite well. We, I know we could beat two 0 but Man City at that team were top of the championship. Cam Keegan was a manager, and their team was on really class. I think it was maybe twenty six thousand at the game that day. Yeah, and my dad came over with my brother and my, my cousins. It was uh, three cousins came over with my dad and my brother. And what a fantastic weekend. We stayed up in Manchester and stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, it was really good to play at that. And the same again, playing in that environment in front of the amount of people was, was a wee bit surreal. But I walked away from it, not knowing even again that I held my own. There was a lot of the guys, or um, even Kevin Keegan after the game spoke to me, and he says, well played, Tony, you did very well. That was always something to remember. Yeah, some, but, uh, some, yeah. Good, some good players in that squad. Um, we've got what, Richard Dunn, Steve Howie, Ile yeah. Berkovich, Sean Wright-Phillips, uh, Ali uh, Bernabia. Yeah, um, oh, he was unreal. Yeah, Hawker B1 Chap. I think it was Steve Bruce maybe playing as well. Or no, Steve uh, Pierce. No, Stuart Pierce, yeah. Stuart Pierce, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget Ali Bernabia flicked the ball over my head twice. <laughs> and because I, I, I told him, you <laughs> think he's French or something. I says, don't, be, don't do that again when we stopped. There was going to be a free kick. And he goes, why? I says, my dad's over from Ireland watching me. Don't be <laughs> flicking the ball over my head. <laughs> And I sort of laughed. Can't believe I didn't even mention Kevin Horlock as well, Swindon oh, legend. So. Here, I, I actually went down on the drink with him after the game. That was another one again. So I met him, I met him after the game and uh, we ended up going out, out to Manchester, brought us out to any club in Manchester and what a great night with him. It was fantastic with, with my family. Um, he was an art big character as well. He's a head case. But like I said, I just think at, at the time, you know, everybody's going to be, everybody's going to have their own thoughts on it. But I think if I probably went to a different club with, with more positive age, my career made it took a a, a different st- a different step but it was just unfortunate at the time yeah yeah I mean my my next question was did you want to stay at Swindon but you've already answered that but was there yeah. was there any I, interest I, elsewhere I, I, I would have I would have wanted to stay at Swindon if Roy Evans was there mm. I would have stayed I would have stayed forever but it just wasn't to work out when Andy King came back I just didn't know. I was so young at the time. I just didn't know. Is this con- am I still getting this contract? I think I am. It's been agreed. Mm. And, you know, we still would have stayed because I was thinking to myself, I'm playing more and more each year. I'm turning into a man. I'm not a kid no more. I'm turning 21. And at the time, I thought, yeah, I would stick it out and keep doing it. Now, um, when I did go back home, Hereford phoned me and offered me a contract. But because of what happened with Aldi King, I was just second, and I just said, you know what, I'm just not, I'm just not going back to England. I'm staying here, yeah. and that's and that's what I did. Because uh, like I say, when Aldi King did that to me, for me, it's something I'll never ever forgive. No matter, I never speak about it, but 
I'll never forgive him for what he did because he knew the contract was offered and agreed. Mm. And as a young lad, being there five years, he came through the youth team to do what he did only a week before the end of the season without giving me any notice. Yeah. For me, it was just downright disgusting. And, it all, and it's never, ever changed. So it hasn't. I've actually spoke to him a few years ago just by chance and I told him that. So I didn't. Mm. don't think he was quite pleased about it. But I just told him straight how I felt. Yeah. If he had told me in two months, or maybe two months ago, I would say, listen, you're going to play here, but we're, uh, I'm not going to give you a contract, then I would have been able to deal with it. But it was just what, the way the way he did. I suppose with what was going on at the club, I, should, I, should, uh, I shouldn't have expected any different, to be honest with you. But there you go. to uh, Northern Ireland with Porter Down and then you move on to Linfield who are the biggest club in Northern Ireland uh, the move is kind of considered controversial because they are from the other side of Belfast <laughs> that's right yeah 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 they are yeah. they would have been uh, they would have been a Protestant British uh, loyalist known as loyalist club um, there would have been uh, a lot of hatred between Linfield and uh, and the west of the city which would have been obviously nice enough for Republican at the time and um, when I came back home, Porter Down had just won the league in the Irish League and they had wanted me to sign and play in the Champions League for them that summer. Yeah. So I'd signed and I had a, real, I had a good team there. Um, did really well, but Linfield came calling, as as did Glen Torn, the two biggest clubs in, in the north of Ireland, probably two biggest clubs in Ireland at the time. And they had offered me both very good contracts. And I just got the feeling that I went and seen the Linfield manager and he was, he was another big character. Still work with him to this day. Um, David Jeffrey and he had offered me a contract and I was like I know teams have moved on because I left in 87 came back in 2002 and the peace treaty and all the good Friday agreement was agreed and things seemed to be getting better but I actually had to go and see my dad before I made a decision because I wasn't too sure how people were going to deal with it but living where I lived and uh, my dad was I remember being in, the, in a bar where he drinks on the Falls Road I just went up and spoke to him, and he, he was having a drink with his friends. And he says, Look, can I speak to you a second? He says, Yeah, go ahead. And I says, I'm just after meeting David Jaffrey, the Linfield manager. He went, What? Because I didn't even tell him. And I says, oh, I'm only out of Windsor Park now. They've offered me a contract to go and play for Linfield. And he says, What do you think? And I says, Well, that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm asking you, What do you think? And he says, Well, do what you want to do. Do you want to go and play? And he says, I, I've, got, I've got a really, really good vibe from him. I really enjoyed the meeting, and I think I, I do want to go. He says, well, if you want to go, you just go. And he says, but do you think people will do anything? Or He says, don't be worried about that. So I didn't worry about it then. And I uh, just went over and played. And there was no trouble, to be honest with you. So I um, went over and the rest is history. Had a great time and signed for them. And still still love, go, love, love going down to the club to this day. And I was there for six years and was treated like a king, even though I was from the other side of the city. And still treated, treated like a king, treated really well by the fans and it was an unbelievable team. It was the best team of my career. There was no doubt about it. I absolutely loved it there and won a lot. And yeah, and you did win a lot. I mean, and does that, I mean, okay, it's semi-professional, but surely that compensates for what happened to you in England because you got four league, uh, league winners, um, three Irish Cups, two Irish League Cups. Um, you describe Linfield as the most professional <coughs> club that you played for, and you include Swindon in that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, that, I mean, I guess that says it all, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about it. You know, not being uh, harsh on Swindon or anything, but without a shadow of a doubt, it was uh, the club was run ten team, ten teams better professionally. Everything was done down to a T in terms of. 
the 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 team committee, the management committee, the chairman, everything was running there the same direction. This is how the football clubs run. This is how we run the fans, the team, the manager. Um, in terms of everything we needed, we got with the best of. We had the best of everything. No matter what it was, whether it was medical or operations or the best kit, the best training kit, the best clothes, suits, you know, training facilities, food. It was all unbelievable. Like we never, we wouldn't even have that at Swindon to be honest with you. But um, yeah, the team. It was like uh, we won the clean sweep. We were we won the All Ireland Trophy as well, the Satanta Cup, um, which was massive back then. And uh, we won the clean sweep of trophies. We won all four. hadn't been done from 1963. Still hasn't been done to this day. The team I played in, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, would have beat any of the Swindon teams that I was in for five years. We wouldn't have beat them. Would have absolutely pummeled them. I have no doubts about that. You're still working in football as a coach and I think as a scout as well. How are you finding that? Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I'm working under David Jaffe, who was my manager through that team at Linfield. Um, he, he's the most successful manager in Ireland. Um, like he won 32 trophies at Linfield, which is um, him and Roy, Roy Coyle, the only two who's ever did that, 31, 32 trophies. He was there 17 years. So he would be regarded as one of the best managers in Ireland. And I've, I've worked under him for a long time. And when he took the job at Ballymena, he asked me to go with him to be chief scout and to come to do a bit of coaching. At the time, I was manager of a team that was in the Premier League, Donegal Celtic, their West Belfast club. And they sort of went to the wall, but like Swindon, and uh, I was uh, I, I was a player, and the, the club went really bad, and they asked me to take over as manager, and I decided to take over for for one year, um, just to keep them in the in the championship. It was at the team I did that, and then I left, and then David asked me to go to Palomino with him. Yeah, I've been there two and a half years now, and loved every minute of it. There were always a team that never finished in the top six and won the odd. I think it was hadn't won a, a senior trophy and. 29 years until we arrived the first season we won the League Cup um, we got them into Europe for the first time in 30 years um, last season we got the two cup finals and finished top 6 but we got beaten both cup finals so we've been reasonably successful but we want to kick on now and try and, try and uh, get us to the next level in terms of Irish League football because we're a club which is 35 miles outside Belfast and a lot of the Belfast clubs usually run run the Irish League in terms of Linfield, Glentorn Crusaders, Cliftonville and it's just trying to break into that top four but yeah it's going really well it's really enjoyable So you've got a 16 year old in, in the setup, and they want to go and try their luck in England you've got the coaching uh, influence of uh, Roy Evans for example do you do you sort of portray yourself as a cautionary tale or do you do you encourage or do you just tell them to think about it? <laughs> I tell them to think about it to have a good heart because when, when kids are given that opportunity, they will obviously see everything they've dreamed of. They will see the positive side of it. Mm. They'll not even think about the negative side of it. They'll see, could I be driving a top Iranian's car? Could I be living in a top Iranian's house? Do you know, this is an opportunity to get out of Northern Ireland and make a real name for myself. And it, when, when they do make it, it's amazing. Like Obviously, there's a lot of success stories, but in terms of that success stories, it's so minimal compared to the ones of field mm. and their, their lives and their, their working careers of fancy words because of it. So it's 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 a balancing act. It's yes, you could do that, but also here, there's the figures there. You have to be realistic about how many people come back home and don't make it as a footballer and don't even make it to a part-time football. Mm. Some players, when they're 16, sort of peak and get a move to England and then they go over there. When they're 16 to 18, they really struggle, and then they end up giving up football. Mm. 
and that and the 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 actual numbers is quite scary who you feel mm. it's really scary i think it's in the, in the 90 percent or something mm. the last statistic i've seen it was 90 odd percent so yes there there is that opportunity there's also two sides to every uh to every story two two sides of the coin the positive side and the negative side and i think it's it, you have to be fair and and give both sides of the story and give both both what way it could go and so i uh, so it would probably be a tale of caution for me i think um kids are better equipped if they stay home as long as they get the right training and the right um you know if they get their fitness right their uh their nutrition right how to live how to eat how to sleep and also do their schoolwork and get a bit of education mm. and play at our standard of football our standard of football is quite high so if they made it in our standard of football and was one of the best here, then there's no doubt of an opportunity. <clears throat> in fact, with the last one to leave first went to Oxford, your big rivals, Gavin White. Yep. Under Card Ramson. Card Ramson was a teammate of mine at Swindon. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know that? I've seen that he had links to Swindon, but it sort of disappears every now and again because he has mentioned he was Swindon. So is he in the youth team? Yeah, he was in the youth team. But it's funny, this is a funny story, I think. When, when I went over to play for Swindon for that trial game... Mm. Um, Carl Ramsey will tell you better because he still remember me and him would still talk and he still reminds me of it. I think it's Plymouth who played. He played up front and I played midfield and he had met me before the game and you just knew he was a big character. He just never shut up. Talk, talk, <laughs> talk, 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 talk. The whole way, right through. And he played that game with me on the Saturday. We won 3-0. I scored a hat-trick. And then, I might have been 4-0, he keeps telling me. I thought it was 3-0. He tells me it was 4 because he scored one. And then we won Bristol City, beat them 1-0 and I scored the winner. But he was there with me that weekend. And uh, yeah, both of us was offered a contract. So, but uh, he had a few injuries. But yeah, he was a real character. You always knew he Rabble was going to do something of himself in life. Never mind football. He's just one of them people. He could talk his way into anything. Well, as of October two thousand and eighteen, he's doing a tremendous job at Oxford. And yeah, really enjoying I know. I uh, one of the best players in the Irish league who played for Crusaders. He won the Young Player of the Year last season. He moved to Oxford. Mm. Um, Gavin Wade. Yeah, he scored for Ireland, um, Northern Ireland in the last. Yeah, last yeah, season. he's he's a real. Yeah, he, I think he's one of the few successes that these uh, cards had this this season because they've really struggled on that. Yeah, they are um, second bottom uh, with Plymouth. Just unbelief. It's a it's a tragic tale. Yeah, oh, I'm sure you're loving that <laughs> top of the world. <laughs> uh, well, no, because we're the division below, so it, below. It, 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 it's bittersweet. Yeah. If anything, um, final final question because we've both got jobs to do tomorrow. Yeah. Are there any any happy memories that you have because it's been it's, mo- it's been largely leg- negative with good reason it was a tough time but it was still five seasons of your career <laughs> five years of your life or just under yeah I, like I say sometimes you do remember the negative but I remember going to pre-season camps down in the army barracks and I think it was Somerset or somewhere it was like there was there was there was brilliant teams there, there was brilliant teams training with the guys every day and you, there was a lot of days you did go home and you were you were buzzing because you did well in training and you thought you were making the first team and like I said the, the the team I played at Man City or something I'll never forget making my debut at, Nor- at Norwich was unbelievable and just really having that love people having that love for you I knew Steve McMahon had that love for me and it was always something I remembered and I knew Roy Evans had it um, I just wish the other managers would have just taken a wee gamble on me and I think it would have uh, would have worked well for me because eventually when I did come home I proved that I was one of the best players in Ireland because I consistently played really well in a team and won everything there was doing in Ireland and it was all always be bittersweet but don't get me wrong I enjoyed living in Swindon it was over five years I'll always have a place in my heart and there was a lot of people at the club who were unbelievable who I'll always remember and looked after me really well 
I'll never forget Ali Buckley, the kid man. Do you remember? <laughs> yes, Ali I do. He's a, quite a oh, figure in this podcast. Oh, unbelievable! What a guy. Do you know? Real. I loved him to death when he passed on. I was devastated. Mm-hmm. Like he was devastated. He was so things like that, and the wee lady who who watched the the kids and the girls upstairs. You know, there was a lot a lot of great memories. You know, meeting the guys and going out, and I think I think I made more appearances in the Brunel rooms probably than I made in the first team. Was it the Brunel rooms? Yeah. I got the stage where I was there every every Saturday night and whatever else, and Wednesday nights and all sorts. But yeah, no, I remember I was very thick with Saul Davis at the team. He was an absolute wonder player, just hard as nails. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Saul would have been quite sick and had real good teams out, you know, really both of us enjoyed a drink and loved a bit of crack. Oh, loads of loads of really good teams, like I say, so yeah, when you when you actually have a think back on it. But there was there was a lot of great teams as well, there's no doubt about it. And meeting uh Martin Wendy, who looked after me for five years over there as well was a blessing and they were they were like uh, second parents for me as well. And like I say, I had a lot of fantastic teams and met people from different parts of the country and there was guys from Newcastle who we used to go up and see, and guys from Wales, and a couple from Liverpool and Nottingham. And we all so it was all around the country meeting people and night, different nights out mm-hmm. and stuff. So that was an opportunity that I never ever had if I hadn't been at Swindon. So I'll always remember good teams as well. Paul, thank you very much. All right, no problem, Rich. Thanks very much for the for the call. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 